What's your story? Whether you're a client or an independent financial advisor, we know you face many important decisions that can affect your and your clients' long-term financial success. Welcome to the WIN Podcast. What's important now with Corey Hymanson, accredited investment fiduciary and president of Hymanson Wealth Advisors. In this podcast, Corey helps you identify your goals and objectives through financial education and comprehensive planning while inspiring you to make better behavioral decisions in your personal finance. With a twist on pop culture and current events, join us as we explore growth and protection strategies for individuals, advisors, and their businesses. Come and discover what's important to you now. Hello, and welcome to The Win Podcast with your host, Corey Hymans. And Corey, how are you doing today? Eric, I'm great. It's the uh, dead of winter, and here we are. Yeah, and hibernation is the word of the day for me. Yeah. <laughs> there you All go. Right. Well, we, we always have fun on these podcasts, and I know that you always have something quirky that you're going to start the podcast out with. So what is today's theme and or title, sir? I, I'm just laughing that it, it took this many episodes before you, you, you realized I had quirky titles. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But okay. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, here we go. Why wouldn't we? It's uh, six degrees of the Super Bowl. And, is that and so what I'm referring is to forecast? is <laughs> please don't let that be the forecast. The game is in the southern part of the country, so I oh, okay. I hope it's not six degrees, man. <laughs> yeah, then we're in trouble. What what I'm referring to here is the old game of, I believe it's called six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Oh yes, yes, that's fantastic. So we are going to connect or link the Super Bowl in six steps to the topic of drum roll. Conditional giving. Okay. <laughs> and I can hear the excitement of the listeners right now. Like, oh my gosh, he's going from something cool to something boring, but give me a chance here. This might work. Well, do me a big favor and, and, and tell me, or give me the definition of conditional giving. What, what is that? Yeah. You know, when we talk about giving money to, to charity or, mm -hmm. or to family, you know, there's really two ways to play you. The first might be like unconditional, meaning okay. no strings attached, yes. yep. let's say. So if I give money to to my local charity, I write a check, send them on their way, no big deal. You know, the difference or the flip side of that is conditional giving, like maybe there's restrictions. So if I wanted to uh, name a, a football stadium after me and all my greatness, you know, maybe I would offer to give money to, to that university, but... Hey, there's some strings attached. I want this and this and this. And I'm not saying one's right or one's wrong. They're just different. Mm hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, my my wife is scared to death of alligators and crocodiles. So if we give money to the zoo, she could write in her little thing, say none of this money is to go for the, the alligators. Yeah. Spot Any on. other animals, fine, but no money to the <laughs> alligators. Right. Right. And, and ultimately, when we when we go full circle on this whole thing, there are some cool things tied to conditional giving, in my opinion. So that that's okay. I'm kind of prefacing that, and so that's going to be kind of cool on the back end of this. Okay. Well, let let's start this six degree journey. All let's, right. Uh, so it's like what six different steps, right? Six steps. We're going to try and connect one thing to another without just randomly tying things together. You know what I mean? There, yep. There's kind of a process here or a step. So, Deal. Okay. Step one. All right. So step one, and everybody knows this is coming up here in 
within the next couple of weeks, the, the Super Bowl is going to get played, the NFL championship. Yes. And, and so this game, here's step one, is played in Glendale, Arizona, at the site known as the State Farm Insurance Stadium. Okay. I'm assuming we're going with the last part of that. I don't know if this six-degree stuff has anything to do with Glendale, Arizona, although a fine town. Don't get me wrong. There you go. But I'm assuming it's something's tied into State Farm. You are spot on. Okay. Have you ever heard of Jake from State Farm? Oh, yes. He wears khakis. <laughs> so <laughs> I am full of useless information. But anyway, the current actor that plays Jake in these commercials is named Kevin Miles, and he grew up in the city of Chicago. Okay, we're starting to stretch already. This is fantastic. Okay, Kevin Miles from Chicago. Who is Jake from State Farm, the insurance company, which is, you know, the name of the stadium in Arizona? Yeah, right. So there will be a quiz at the end of this. But anyway, the Chicago, you know, everybody Uh knows that city. Of course, they have the Chicago Bears. And the Bears won the Super Bowl back in 1985, at which time they recorded the Super Bowl shuffle song where they all danced and were funny. Was that Refrigerator Perry? That was Refrigerator Perry, uh, Jim McMahon, yes. Dent, you know, I Peyton. Love that. <laughs> a lot of characters. But anyway, at the time, it seemed like a really cool video and song. And now I look back and it's like, boy, who was in charge of that idea? Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> so that's step three. Step, step four, if I say to you, Eric, even the word shuffle or shuffling, what's the first thing you would think of? Uh, playing cards. Okay. There, we're in sync today. Okay. <laughs> so, yes, shuffling, shuffling cards, playing cards. Okay. Totally yeah. makes sense to me, too. Yes. Step five. One of the best card players of all time was a gentleman named Amarillo Slim. So this, this was a guy, you know, kind of a card shark of sorts and read a great book of his, but full of crazy stories. But him and his buddies basically traveled across most of the southern United States just finding people to play cards with inevitably to try and win their money and Mm -hmm. then they'd get out of town and go the next town the next town what's really interesting though is these guys and especially Amarillo Slim brought the game of Texas Hold'em to Las Vegas really I did not know that history so back at that time there was a lot of characters in Las Vegas that were suspect of sorts you know really no mob <laughs> mob related <laughs> you know there's a lot going on but ultimately vegas was built on gambling yes and, and gambling uh, has various forms but essentially the game of texas hold'em which has really become popular now and you see it on tv and these big tournaments and things you know was brought by these gentlemen who traveled the country introducing the game to locals and, and taking them on taking their money got it okay all right, so we've completed five steps. So now here we're getting full circle. This is the end of the, the road, right? Step six? Yes. Las Vegas is the home of a lady named Beverly Rogers. And so now nobody's really going to jump up and down and probably know who this is. But her husband was a guy named James who owned a bunch of uh, media assets, radio stations, TV hmm. stations, things like this. Okay. He's deceased. But the two of them, and she still continues this on today, have done many, many initiatives to promote education across the various states and across a lot of colleges that were in the footprint of husband James' business interests. Okay. And so these people have essentially gifted 
you know, what's documented at least, close to $200 million through the years. Shoemaker, hmm. that's a huge amount. Unbelievable. And, and that's not like every nickel of theirs. I mean, this was just stuff they were passionate about. And they believed in education because they felt that education is what um, improves people, improves their lives, improves our country. And, I, you know, I can't really argue with any of that. Yeah. And, and so now here's the next point of this. This gets us to the conditional giving. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying these people put all kinds of restrictions and handcuffs on these universities, but there were some guidelines. When you start throwing around 200 million in coin, you're just not writing checks to the local charity and, and washing your hands of it. You know, you're, you're committed, you're accountable. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's where we really wanted to get to on this whole story. Well, I mean, yeah, I think that you can be passionate about just about anything, right? And if you're passionate about one specific thing and the charity that you want to give money to does 10 different things, well, that's great. But you want them to focus on the thing that is nearest and dearest to you, right? I mean, that's that's just my assumption. And I'm assuming a university could use donations for hundreds of applications, I would assume, right? And it, it, all sorts of ways they could spend some money. But if it's specific, then the giver being able to designate or put on that condition, I think, is is powerful and, and necessary. Well, and you know, even down a little bit, I totally agree with everything you said, but down a little different path. I mean, just the idea of gifting and giving away money and assets while you're alive really brings a different sense of enjoyment mm-hmm. to a person, too, I think, because you can see the money working. Yeah. You know, far too often I, I have people sitting in front of me at, at a table and they say, you know, yeah, my kids will get the money someday, but I'm not, I'm not giving it to them until I'm gone. And that's fine. You know, I don't look those people in the eye and say they're making a bad decision, but, and we kind of talked about this in the last podcast too, you know, there, there's some people that take the opposite mindset of, Hey, maybe I set, set family up or a charity up a little earlier in life and I see how they, how they perform and how they handle the money and, mm-hmm. and if they were good stewards of it or not before they ever get any more. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yep. And, and so where I, where I want to go with this next is. I want to tie this in, I guess I hadn't even thought about this. I'm almost tying education into the gifting, into the accountability and connecting all this without even knowing I was connecting it all. But if you think about specifically your kids, you know, and and the importance of teaching them about money or, or getting them right down the path, the proper path early in life, it's important that their first investing experience be a positive one. And, and what I mean by that is it, if you're someone and you've never invested before and you're 50 years old and you come into my office and the first monthly statement comes and, and your your account went down in value, boy, you start second guessing yourself and you're thinking, boy, did I did I make a crazy mistake here? And and I think that's equally important, maybe more important for a let's say an 18-year-old kid. So if I encourage my son or daughter to save $25 a month, and invest it and i'm going to match it let's say so this is the conditional giving i'm mm-hmm. i'm going to match what they put in every month just to keep them accountable but what that's going to do is that their account is going to feel like it's growing much quicker because it's getting extra contributions into it than if they were just on the ride by themselves yeah i i actually did something similar 
but not on the investing side. When when I spoke to my kids about getting a car, I, I told them that I'm not going to buy you one. That's number one. Don't don't think about that. However, I'll match every dollar you save. So if you save a thousand dollars for a car, you got two thousand dollars to spend on a car. You know, if you save uh, two thousand, four thousand, we can do the math very easily. Now, my daughter took advantage of that and she saved a lot and she got a much nicer car than my son. <laughs> my son saved six hundred dollars. So he had twelve hundred dollars to spend and he found a thousand dollar car and, and he was happy as a clam. <laughs> You know, with this thousand dollar car, and but he's the older child, and so when my my daughter got a car about four times the price of that, he's like, well, "How did she get that nice of a car? Because <laughs> she didn't spend all her money, son." <laughs> right? So I, you know, I I have a little bit of experience with this conditional stuff. I like that. I, th- I thought you were going to say your son bought a four hundred dollar car and an eight hundred dollar stereo to put in it. <laughs> yeah, that's where a lot of his money went to with stereos. So, yep. <laughs> Probably had the but, stereo for the car before he had the car, to be honest with you. There you go. That. But, yeah, I mean, that story is perfect because uh, especially if we talk, you know, college savings. Mm-hmm. There's another great way that I, that I hear parents say, you know, I understand that I need to help my kids or I want to help my kids. But if I take the full responsibility of the college tab and tuition, they might not have as much skin in the game that, you know, are they going to study as hard or put their nose in the books the way they should? You know, so I think a lot of a lot of people like that idea of equal accountability of, I don't know if you say equal, but I mean, having parents and kids involved in the project. Mm -hmm. So it totally makes sense. And, you know, grandparents can do the same thing. I mean, anybody can can set up an account and do some conditional type giving or matching giving uh, for their kids, grandkids, you know, whomever. Yeah. I mean, there's some limitations on it, right? Like, what is it, 16,000 a year? Something like that? Yeah, you know, definitely. And each person's and this sounds like a broken record. Each person's situation is theirs, and it's personal to mm-hmm. what they're trying to accomplish. And there, there are workarounds on all those things, you know. So I hate to just make a blanket statement to everybody listening, but um, once you dial in the objective or the goal, we've said that before too. There's a path to get there. Yeah. Yep. You know, and, and for a lot of people, maybe they don't have kids. Maybe they just go to their job, and you know, maybe they're not even participating in their company retirement plan, but. Man, if your employer is offering a match, if you participate and put a few bucks in to get free money, there you go. That's conditional giving, too. I mean, it's right there in front of you, and you got to take advantage of these things. Yeah. Well, so let me ask you this. What have you seen with other clients that um, maybe at near end of life? Now, I know you just spoke about being able to give to your children when – um, you know, when you're still alive or give to your charity while you're still alive. So you can see that. But what have you seen your clients do when it comes to passing on money, you know, after they, um, after they pass away? I mean, I know that the, I don't, I don't can't remember. It's like purse strings from the grave kind of situation where you're trying to control things. However, we also know that giving too much money to somebody too quickly when they're too young can be detrimental. So what have you seen in that realm? Yeah, I've seen it all. <laughs> How you like that? I mean, mm-hmm. I've seen situations where people are really dialed in, prepared, you know, they, they have the steps dialed in. And then the next time you run into somebody and they have none of it planned and then it's a disaster, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I've seen some people that want to control from the grave or they have a trust set up that controls land for a hundred years. And, and then the next people say, well, why would I do that to my kids? You know, so it's just funny to see human nature of different attitudes on things. I think 
just having the conversation and communication is so key because a lot of people don't want to talk about this stuff, uh, but it's it's all on our uh, on our timeline. You know, I mean, it's all on our our future path. Yeah. The old death and taxes thing. I mean, it's it's true and accurate. But here's the thing: is that I know that you have the resources and you have the connections that you can you could probably pretty much design anything that a family would want, right? Because I can tell you right now, I'm, first of all, audience, I'm not wealthy <laughs> at all. Uh, but if I had great wealth, um, let's say 100 million bucks, if I pass now, I don't want my my son at his age or my daughter at her age to just get one lump sum, right? I don't want them to get you know, that much money at their age because I could see problems. I want to protect them. I don't want to control everything from the grave, but I know there's ways to set things up. I, I, I don't know if I was speaking to you about it or I've spoken to you about it before, but I had heard about a, a trust where, um, you can dish out or you can dole out the money based on what's on the person's what W2 or W4, whatever they make for the year, the trust would match that. So that encourages people to work hard. Right. I mean, so there's different ways you can do it. Um, can you give me some examples or stories of how, how clients have done that or set some things up and put them in motion to protect their kids or, or make sure that their kids or grandchildren even are safe with the money that they're wanting to bless them with? Yeah. And, you know, we work with quite a few different estate planning attorneys in different cities uh, to get the, the T's crossed and the I's dotted on these things. And, and so they laugh when I use language like I'm going to use right now. But a lot of times I call this like stair-stepping trust mm -hmm. language. Mm -hmm. And an attorney will look at me like, Corey, that's not real brilliant, but a client understands it. <laughs> yeah, I understood <laughs> you know, it. You know, so like you said, in your scenario, you know, we have a, a trust document, which is a thing. So if mm -hmm. somebody dies, their existence is over, but their trust still lives on because it's a thing. So this thing has rules in it. And yeah, it can have language that says at age 25, little Jimmy and little Jane get X amount of dollars, or they get a matching uh, contribution, like you said, to their income, or, you know, you can, the sky's the limit on the type of guidelines you can put on those. I, I, I don't want to say restrictions. I don't want to say handcuffs. Essentially, that's how they work, though. I mean, you're making the rules, Yeah. but you're not making the rules to control from the grave and be the angry old person that's long gone. You're, you're, you're doing these things because you care, mm -hmm. and you're right. I've seen people not necessarily through my office, but I've seen people that have inherited money uh, very, very early in life. And what happens? The money is gone on stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've seen people buy fast cars and fast boats. And, you know, 10 years later, they're, they're working a job they probably don't enjoy because everything is gone. Not that they shouldn't have worked anyway. I'm not mm -hmm. saying that, but I'm just saying you're right. I, I think studies show that the, the human brain brain doesn't fully develop until a certain age. I don't know what that is, 24 or something like that. You know, so, man, even me. I mean, if you gave me 100 million bucks at age 18, oh, I would boy. treat it and use it much differently than I would if I got it at age 50. <laughs> I wouldn't make it to 19. Man, <laughs> Just, yeah. I, yeah, not a chance. That, uh, And maybe we all figure this out, too. I, I think true wealth is not how big your pile of money is. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot more things that are more valuable than, than money. But it's nice to have money and cash flow to do the things you want to do and to pass it on, you know, because essentially, and I've read this before, I, I think it was Nick Murray, 
uh, has been in our industry for a long time, wrote a lot of books, public speaker, things like that. But he always says money is love. You know, that that which you can pass forward to the next generation or multiple generations forward is, is your legacy of love, essentially, that you're mm-hmm. providing. You're giving opportunity. And I'm not saying just so my grandkids can buy boats or fancy ski condos or whatever. You know what I mean? You're talking about giving them the opportunity to succeed and to maybe build something bigger because they had uh, tools in the toolbox. Yeah. Well, so there again, I don't know if I really answered your question, but I kind of went off on a tangent. Well, no, I, I think that's what people need to hear. And, and I think that everyone that gifts money, whether it's to a charity, to a family member, whatever, we have these visions of, of what we want to have happen. Not necessarily what we want them to do with the money, but when I think about you know passing money to my, my children, we've got some things in place to where when we pass away, hopefully the ripe old age, they will inherit money. Right. And I'll have grandkids, which I already have. I'll have great grandkids by that point, I'm sure. And my my vision is that this will be something for the entire family for multiple generations if they're wise and they, they are able to be good stewards. That's what I think any of us envision or envision our children being able to if we're if we're paying for schooling, being able to become everything that they want to be in life. Right. I believe that's where our heart is. But that's not necessarily where the mechanics are going to work out if we don't put certain things in place or if if like sudden money to a young person is could be extremely detrimental. I mean, we've got story after story. I know that you do. And I've experienced that with with folks that I've worked with before where it's just a disaster if it's not done correctly. And the intention was there. The intention was pure. It's just the execution didn't didn't help matters. It, it's purely execution and it's, again, communication because, yeah. you know, especially here in the Midwest, you know, see this a lot of times too. If, if somebody's passing farmland down to the next generation and Absolutely. there's multiple kids in the family, a lot of times this asset doesn't get divided equally. Yeah. If one of the children was on the, the family farm helping dad and grandpa for years and years and years, sometimes they get a bigger slice of the pie. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong because I don't, I don't think fair necessarily means equal Correct. all the time. I agree. Yeah. You know, um, but in that case, you darn well better explain that to the kids while everybody's alive or you're going to have a big storm of, of emotions between siblings. And I've seen families torn apart, you know, where yeah. kids that got along and went to Christmas and Thanksgiving with mom and dad's and relatives and things and then now they don't even talk to each other just yep. because of the money or the land divide up and that's not what this is about yeah absolutely and and i don't want to go off on a tangent in the, in the wrong direction here but it, when you said that it immediately made me think of business owners right you've got a business owner that has two or three kids and fair and equal are not the same you've got one child that maybe works in the business and has worked in the business for 20 30 years with you know, a parent. Um, and then you've got another child that did a, has an amazing career as a school teacher, right? We know that school teachers don't get paid what they should. Um, and maybe you've got the third child who's worked for a charity who probably doesn't make a lot of money because people that work in nonprofit usually don't make a ton of money. So fair and equal in that situation, the, the one that works in the business is probably going to be part of that succession plan to continue working in the business. But then you look at how can we make this an even split or at least 
fair enough for these other kids who have great careers and follow their dreams and are helping people, but didn't necessarily enter the family business. So, I mean, that's where my brain goes. Exactly. And, and if you think about, you know, business owners, boy, that, that's a whole nother yeah, whole nother podcast, podcast of <laughs> planning and yeah. um, gifting of the business. If that's, if that's the family path or dividing up shares to different children, I mean, oh, we can go on and on and on. But again, it all comes back to execution, mm -hmm. accountability, communication. You know, <laughs> I could bang the drum all day long on the same words, but uh, it's so important because nobody knows when we're checking out of this existence. And if you don't have your ducks in a row, it's stressful and it's difficult for whoever's next in line to, to clean up the mess. Yeah. I've got a really odd question for you because it just popped into my brain as you were talking about this. Um, you've spoken about money, right? We've talked about money. I think we've beaten that horse for a while. Um, so that one's pretty much answered, uh, you know, except for listener, if you've got questions, by all means, email in and, and call in and get those questions answered. But, uh, and you talked about property, right? But let me ask you about collectibles. Um, have you ever seen a situation where, you know, maybe an art collector wants to gift this art to their children or pass it down? Are they putting stipulations on it? Look, we want this art to be in the family. If you decide to sell it, then you have to split all the proceeds, you know, with all the other children. Or do you see people putting in parameters or conditions when it comes to stuff, right? That's being passed down. Yeah, I've seen that. And I've seen it on really, really expensive things. And I've seen it on really, really cheap things. Really? You know, I'm going to pick on my uh, great grandmother and I think my grandmother <laughs> on one <laughs> side of the family. They had a lot of masking tape at their house because they would put a piece of tape underneath everything that was of existence and it would have somebody's name on it. Got it. Yes. I've seen and, that and so it could be a, a a a clay pottery piece that nobody thinks has any value, but boy, if it's got my name on it, I darn well can't throw that away on day mm -hmm. one. <laughs> yeah, right. There's there's a waiting period. <laughs> but but yeah, if we're talking on the higher end, you know, it's really important to number one, document the things you have. Mm -hmm. and, and again, this comes back to communication. You don't want kids saying, well, where'd that piece of art go that was supposed to be this or that? And, you know, yeah. stuff can disappear when, mm -hmm. when, when family isn't around all the time, meaning uh, somebody comes and knocks on grandma's door and sweet talks her into giving away that Picasso painting or that vase or, you know, whatever it is, it, it just comes back down to documentation too. And, yeah. and so let's put things in in place let's set some rules and some parameters for what happens if somebody needs to sell this not if they want to sell it if they need to sell it because yeah. that that can happen too absolutely you know life can change and then maybe the stipulations that were put in place initially just aren't quite right anymore and a good attorney or a good estate or trust type document will will give um outs so to speak or you know it'll cover all those crazy unknown things that shouldn't happen, but could. Yeah. And, and again, if you know the objective in the long run, we can figure out the path to get there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I, I know from personal experience, a friend of ours, the um, grandparents had a, a little late cabin. I mean, it was it literally, it was an old fashioned cabin, no power. 
um, outhouse, the whole nine yards. But the cabin was beautiful, and it was it was family, right? That's where they spent a ton of their holidays. That's where they spent a ton of their time. Um, and then you know, trying to pass it to the kids, and then also allowing the grandkids to have it. They had a huge family, and it just became this huge battle. And it and it shouldn't have, right? And it didn't have to, but money objects things change people and that's it's unfortunate but you know somebody wants to use it more than somebody else and and there's like you said all of a sudden the family dinners aren't happening at the cabin because nobody can get along yeah and and i'm really good at at my career because i can take the emotion out of everything absolutely but just recently i've had this on on multiple occasions and that's that's because you know 2022 was a a year where investment markets went down in value mm-hmm and and I've seen family or different families, different people who inherited dollars from their parents, and then maybe they had them invested, and and now they see some negative numbers on their statements, and they have a difficult time getting over the fact that they feel like they're disappointing their family, you know, their parents. That mm-hmm. oh my gosh, you know, that money went down by so many dollars, and mom or dad would have just hated that. Yeah. In which case, or both of these cases that I'm having at the top of mind moment on, in both those cases, I reminded them that their parents invested. You know, your parents invested and they had wealth because they invested and they understand that things can fluctuate. So you shouldn't lose sleep. Don't feel like you're you're being cursed from the great beyond because you tried to do the right thing and, and be a good steward of that money. Mm-hmm. And, and that helps people. But some people, that's hard to get over. Yeah. Well, and, and the other thing is, if you're planning to give something to somebody, don't make it, don't make it too uh, mysterious or cute or, or uh, I don't know. This, this flashed in my brain. Uh, it's an old old movie, or a, I'm positive it was probably like a Hallmark movie or something. Uh, and it was a, a family that was just struggling financially, just super struggling. And finally, they were in the kitchen. She was crying to her sister and said, "I just can't. You know, we're not going to be able to make the mortgage and so on and so forth." And and she said, well, what did you do with your grandma's inheritance? You got that, you know, a few years ago that, you know, how she goes, what do you mean? She goes, the seed jar. And she had on her, on her windowsill, a jar of seeds that had all sorts of different colors of seeds. And there was a nice little thing on it that said, you know, with these seeds, we hope you grow, blah, 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 whatever it was. Right. <laughs> That's how much I appreciated the movie. Anyway, she's like, wait a second, you didn't open that. And she goes, well, no, it's a jar of seeds. Well, she broke the jar open or whatever, and inside was this big bundle of stocks and cash. And and it was all buried in the seed, right? Because it was this cute thing to do, but nobody told her there was actual money and stocks and stuff inside. So if you're going to leave somebody, make sure they at least know there's something in the seeds. That's all. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And and yeah, I, I don't want people to walk away from this podcast thinking, Corey's all about putting rules and restrictions and conditions on this giving. Yeah. No. The the point is to to almost in my viewpoint, I'm, I'm visualizing a carrot, you know, hanging in front of a horse or a donkey or whatever mm-hmm. animals follow a carrot and try to catch it and they walk faster. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I gotta... it, it's it's a way to encourage, and if you encourage somebody, they're going to succeed. Yeah. And if they succeed, they're going to pass it on and encourage and pay it forward, and the succession or the succeeding continues. That's what it's about. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. And that's a great place to end this podcast. And I'm, I'm hoping that the listeners are going, I, I want my kids to succeed. I want my grandkids to succeed. I want this, whatever I'm leaving them, I want this to be a blessing and not a curse or not a, 
without a stumbling block, if you will. So, Corey, to that point, people need to reach out and have a professional that can remove the emotion from it. Have this discussion with them. Can you give them your contact info to get them on the right path? Absolutely. Give us a call. 800-657-4316. All right, Corey, thank you so much for your time. This is a lot of fun today. Right on. Appreciate you too. You bet. All right. And thank you, audience. We appreciate you as well. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the Win Podcast with Corey Hymanson. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Corey comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review as this actually helps others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Hymanson Wealth Advisors, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to The Win Podcast. What's important now? The show that helps you achieve your financial dreams. To ask questions about topics covered during the show or get a copy of Stop Doing Dumb Things With Your Money by Corey Hymanson, visit www.hymansonwealth.com or give us a call at 712-472-3867. Don't forget to click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available. Securities offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered through Securities America Advisors, Inc. Hymanson Wealth Advisors and Securities America are separate entities.